Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. When we find a brand leader that we think embodies gutsiness, we invite them to the show to explore what makes them so successful, what drives them every day, and to get their perspective on other gutsy brands out in the world. In today's episode, Gut Check CEO Rob Wangle sits down to chat with Anouk Gottlieb, the CEO of Belgian Boys, a company on a mission to turn up the happy, one sweet treat and delicious breakfast at a time. Listen in while Rob and Anouk discuss how she went from a career in fashion design to CEO of a tasty treat and breakfast company, and learn all about how one plane ride changed her life. Kick back and enjoy an episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. Well, welcome, Anouk. Thanks so much for being with us. And I understand you're coming to us live from Belgium, which is pretty appropriate for introducing yourself and kind of telling us a little bit about who you are as a person. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I'm calling you from Belgium uh, and our company is Belgian Boys. So it is, uh, I, I'm usually based in uh, Brooklyn, New York, though. Um, I moved to New York in uh, 2011. I'm originally from Belgium, from a city called Antwerp. And uh, my background is fashion design. So I used to design dresses, make um, sketches, sew. And that was really all of my world until one plane ride really changed my mind. And today I'm very excited to be uh, very grateful to be the CEO at Belgian Boys. Tell us about the plane ride. So when we when we use the proverbial, tell us about your journey, you literally had a plane ride that was a, a part of it. Tell us about that. I came to New York for an internship in fashion design. Uh, you know, New York is really the fashion capital of the world, one of them at least. And I came for my summer thing, was super excited. And I met a guy in a plane. And what started as this, you know, summer thing, uh, here we are, uh, 11 years later, two kids and a business. Uh, so that plane ride really changed my life because he was on that same plane. And uh, that's really how the entrepreneurial journey started. And the plane ride was to New York? From Belgium to New York, yes. <laughs> so then this romance that became a romance, a family and a business. Uh, talk about the business. How, how did that come about? So Greg really, he's the, the entrepreneur at heart. He started, the, he went to Brandeis uh, from Belgium um, to college in Boston. And you know, just like every expat, I want to say, you bring stuff from home, right? He was bringing waffles and cookies and treats and all kinds of stuff that he loved from his hometown. His friends, his American friends in the dorms were like, oh my God, this is so good. Where can I try it? Where can I buy it? Couldn't find it anywhere. Couldn't buy it anywhere. Every time his mom was, was coming to visit, she was bringing this kind with the chocolate and that kind with the caramel. His friends were getting specific about what they wanted him to bring back. And he graduated and he's like, well, maybe, maybe there's an idea here that I can ex further, further explore. Um, as I said, my background's fashion design. And I was like, hey, sure, I'll help my boyfriend to design a logo and a branding. And you know, I said to Greg back then, I remember like, 
can't just put a waffle on in a wrapper on a shelf. We gotta we gotta make clothes for it. We gotta make it look beautiful so that people have eye candy for it. And that's really the how it started uh, back then. I've I've been able to consume some, try some. They're delicious, but they're bright and um, fun and upbeat colors and in a category that, or a set of categories that are kind of bland, uh, is, was your fashion design more colorful and, and bright? Is that something that's a consistent theme? My fashion design actually was very colorful and bright. Now, you know what? It's the first time I'm making that realization. Huh. That's interesting. I think it's part of who we are also as, uh, again, going back to those Belgian roots, uh, it starts with our logo. When we started to talk about the logo, we grew up in Belgium with comics like the Smurfs, Tintins, Hercule Poirot. These are all Belgian. A lot of people don't know that, actually, but we grew up with that. It was really a part of our DNA. And when we were like to create a brand, it was very natural for us to have a character on our logo. That character really became playful. So when designing around that character, we went with a colorful approach. I mean, listen, life is hard, right? We were creating a food brand that was indulgent, that was sweet, that that was really light. I mean, you got to keep it fun and, and easy for the consumer then. And that was really our, our thesis, which I think we've even made brighter and more vibrant throughout the years from what it started initially at. So some of our listeners might not know about the origins of Belgian boys itself. Why? You know, you're you're the CEO. You're not a boy. Uh, what's the origin of Belgian boys? Um, so Belgian boys. Greg started the business with uh, a friend who was also who is also Belgian. Uh, over the years, he took a step back from the business, and uh, what can I say? I took over, but they are still the two original boys that started the business, um, and, and that's really how the name stayed. So Greg was the entrepreneur, had the original idea. It sounds like you brought it to life in many ways. How did you become the CEO? I think at one point in the beginning, right, we started, I was, you know, just doing like opening the Facebook account. I was still working in fashion on Fashion Avenue. And then at night, helping my then boyfriend to design the story behind his brand. Um, That environment in fashion was quite toxic. It was not, I loved what I did. I really was. And I think I was doing well at my work, but the environment I was working in was just not something that I liked. I remember we just got an engaged and I was like the happiest girl in the world. Going back to the office, five days later, I found myself back into that not great spot, not feeling fulfilled in what I did. And it was really because of what was around me. And so I gave my resignation and left fashion and then was planning to go back in fashion. But Greg's like, hey, why don't we do this together? You're anyway helping us. We said, let's give it a try. And, And we did. And I think in the beginning, we really quickly realized what each other was good at. Once you realize that, hey, these are your strengths and these are your weaknesses, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, and actually, we are balancing each other out. Greg, he's the product guy. He's the innovation. He does R&D. He does supplier relationships, new product, the quality, taste, the taste of the product. That's something that really passions him. 
building the PNL and balance sheet and curating a team and the network and business development, that's an area where we found I more was cutting edge. And it was really a natural decision for both of us to have me take that CEO seat. As a CEO, given the experience you had that you called toxic in the fashion industry, how have you thought about that as you've now become a leader of an organization in building a team and building a culture? How, how are you, um, um, what, what are your lessons from that? And, and how are you, what kind of culture are you building? Every day, that's what's on my mind every day. That's my, uh, you know, if we can find a way to measure happiness within teams, that would be a goal for me to figure that out. I think it's so important to just have an environment where, you know what, a lot of people talk about work-life balance. It's been a buzz. We all talk about it even since COVID even more. My view on work-life balance is that work is a part of our life. It's actually a really big part of our life, right? And I love that part of my life. I'm happy to to be in that part of my life. And I don't know if I live on some kind of cloud, but I genuinely feel that my team does too. I think it's about understanding that this is a a team that supports each other, that has common interests, that wants to be successful, that wants to have fun also in this such this huge chunk of our day and taking the dynamics that are perhaps from that toxic uh, competition, backstabbing, politics, like all these things shouldn't be in a workplace. And these are really things that I do a lot to keep out of our organization. I don't have all all the answers. I stay actually very close to some of our team members that were in what they describe bad work environments, because I want to make sure that that doesn't happen to us. But I don't have all the uh, answers. I I think I lead with my gut and I want to create an environment where I personally want to be a part of and I want to work and learn every single day from someone on our team. Uh, Many of our listeners might not uh, be fully exposed to Belgian boys and either seen the product or tried the product. Um, So introduce it a little bit more. So yeah, our our brand really, it was, Belgian Boys was born out of the nostalgia we had for our attendant treats. Waffles, cookies, crepes, pancakes, all these products that we grew up with that made us happy. A lot of breakfast products as well, uh, ready-made breakfast items. And so when we came to the States, we couldn't find them. And we were like, you know what? There has to be something here. There has to be something between a healthy kale chip infused waffle and an ego waffle. And that's really where Belgian boys found success. Today we're in about 6,000 stores and our mission is simple. We want to spark happiness in millions of households in the US. I think in, in COVID really that mission got elevated because that's really when I, I think it was a key turning point for me in the business. We live in New York. So I, I believe you remember it was like, quite hectic in New York at the beginning. We took cases, we wrote thank you healthcare workers, and we sent them to NYU, to all the hospitals in, in the, um, near us. And so what happened next, we didn't expect. We started getting letters, emails, phone calls back. Thank you, I just came out of a 48 hour shift and this is the best moment I have all day. And I'm like, wait a minute. 
you're thanking me, you're saving lives. I'm sending you a waffle. Why are you thanking me? This is the power that our brand has. Life is hard. Eat a cookie. It doesn't have to be that hard. And that's really the message that we want to bring. You know, you don't need to overthink it. Just have fun with it. It's food. It's that stage that we bring for that happiness that you can create, that mom that doesn't want to whip up pancakes in the morning, but want to give something that tastes delicious, that she can have the family around at the table in the morning. That's really the what our brand is all about. So you started with waffles and then extended into a variety of other cookies and other treats that um, were nostalgic. Yes. Well, we actually started from the get-go with a wide assortment of products. It's really making that European food mainstream for the U.S. in terms of quality, in terms of the material, the raw materials that go, the ingredients that go in our product. It's an upgrade from what currently is on the market, and it's not a luxury update upgrade. It's really something that the consumer at Walmart, at Target can afford and can just bring some joy into their day, start the day the right way with breakfast. Actually, in the breakfast is really where we found... I want to say our, our more successful line of products. When we started, we had crepes and pancakes and waffles and we showed it to buyers and buyers were like, oh, wow, frozen breakfast. What is frozen breakfast? <laughs> why would you freeze breakfast? Like, why is that? Eggs, dairy, milk, yogurt, all these items you buy refrigerated. So why do you make people walk all across the store to buy frozen breakfast that are complementing what they're already buying in the fridge? And so we came with this thesis to say, hey, in Europe, these products are merchandise refrigerated. We want to merchandise refrigerated next to the eggs. And they were like, uh, no, this is frozen breakfast. You're right there. Okay. But we didn't want to let it go. And over a span of four years, five years, we grew it from zero to now 1,200 stores right now and close to 2,000 stores, 2,200 stores by the end of the year. Really a program that has been so well received with the consumer, loving to find our product there, to, to be able to buy it with strawberries and Tropicana OJ. And, and to start their day in the right way. And that's been super, um, super exciting thing that we are, are just scraping the surface. A lot of Americans think about Europe and they do associate with being luxurious. And you just said, I think I heard you say that you wanted it to be accessible and you use Walmart and Target. What, what kind of retailers have partnered with you? Are, are they just the high end or are they uh, those that are accessible to everyone? So actually, our um, our biggest customers right now, our biggest partners are Walmart and Target. Uh, we also work with Costco. Our product is also at Whole Foods. So we also have that premium customer that shops for our brand. I think our premium customer does shop for Belgian boys because we are European. Our consumer at Walmart and Target, they buy the product because it looks amazing, because it tastes delicious, and because they want to change. They want to upgrade from that Ego waffle that they usually buy, right? But the fact that it's made in Europe is not the main reason why they purchase our product in their basket. In fact, you can find Nutella, strawberries, Tropicana, and um, Lucky Charms. It's like really an everyday 
basket, actually, this is something that we learned along the way, something that I never believed. When we started, I thought our prod, our consumer has traveled to Amsterdam or to Paris and wants to be remembered of that experience that they had on a trip. Some of our consumers don't know where Belgium is and a lot, a bulk majority of them as well. So it's not the main reason, really. Since it was nostalgic for you, um, right. did you expect at first that this would be mostly European expats or, or people who um, were really longing for this? Or, and, and how have you kind of been able to educate Americans who might not have understood those delicacies or not even delicacies, everyday, everyday breakfast items and treats that you were used to? Correct. Um, definitely. I think it's, it's a learning process, progress. But um, when we started, I thought that was our consumer, right? And they're buying it for those reasons. What we realized is that my nostalgia is nostalgia that you cannot relate to, right? Because you do not have that experience. In Belgium, we take a train, you drive for an hour, you're in another country. In New York, you drive for four, you're in the same state. You cannot, it's, it's such different culture. It's such a different perspective. And we learned from what our consumer was saying to us. I'll give you an example. Um, our Belgian waffle was used, we named it when we started the Liège waffle. We thought it was really cool. Liège is the city in Belgium where the Belgian waffle is authentically made. What we did is awful. We gave our consumer the feeling to be stupid for four or five ninety nine. That's horrible. You pick up a pack, you don't know what it means. That makes you feel stupid inside. You put it back. You're like, who is this brand that makes me feel stupid? I don't want to be associated with that brand. We changed it to the traditional Belgian waffle. Sales went up. It is now one of our best sellers. And so I think it's really learning, understanding what your consumer says, what they resonate to, and not be afraid to change along the way because you have to learn. That feedback is just instantly available. And what it started as, it's not what it's what it is now. Well, it's interesting as as we've we've discussed a little bit um, in a prior conversation that idea of gutsiest brands, one of the things we feel is one of the most significant principles of brands that do break through, succeed, and, and create a loyal following and, and a real affinity is empathy. And, and that example is, is fabulous. That As an entrepreneur, you went out and you did something that felt right to you. And once you really understood what it was making other people feel, you, you corrected it and, and connected. That's, that's outstanding. So tell me, um, how did you know it was going to be successful? Was there a particular event, a milestone, something that happened that you said, wow, we, we're, we're really onto something that's more than just our friends and family? Yes. I think there were many times I thought it was not going to be successful, right? There were so many times that we were like, oh my God, like another problem, another setback, another setback, and you just continue. And then... Um, I think two times that I was like, wow, okay. Um, before COVID in 2018, we had a partnership with JetBlue Airlines. So we were one of the four or five complimentary snacks on board. That was major for us. We had just started the business two years, three years ago. So it was really, really a big partnership for us to get. That gave us 
the ability to reach a lot of consumers. I do think that New York, California, and Florida are our main markets still because of the JetBlue partnership that we had. But I actually think it's that story that I shared in COVID uh, that I shared earlier because of um, the feedback we got from our consumer about how that make that how how that small treat or that small sweetness may change their day in literally a time that was horrible horrible and understanding that the power that our brand had in one of the worst moments that's when I'm like okay like this is what we gotta do we gotta just amp up the happiness because this is something that we stand for as a brand this is something that we have the power to create and to ignite in someone's life and then the Walmart target partnership with that refrigerated breakfast once we really started seeing those results and the central that really exceeded expectations it's interesting i've had the benefit of working with some of the biggest companies in the world and some phenomenal brands and so many of them have marketing muscle that they can advertise and promote so aggressively that everyone is going to try it. But you've hit on something that I think is so significant, which is at the end of the day, the, it's the experience that, um, so, so for you to learn fairly early on, whether it was through um, people who flew JetBlue and tried it or the, the hospital workers who you were able to you know, make smile, understanding that your product and brand drove a positive experience is the right foundation. That's, that's fabulous. When you, knowing retailers um, in the United States, and I, I think retailers in Europe can be equally challenging, um, they don't necessarily care about happiness and they don't necessarily, how did you get them engaged and, and supportive of, of your story against so many, when there's so many big companies uh, working with them? Oh, I think in the beginning, it's like setting the story, right? And then sharing your mission and your vision and, and meeting a lot of amazing buyers along the way that gave us a shot that were like, you know what? Yes, I'm going to take a chance of you. Our, our, the first time we went into refrigerated breakfast, which is a category that we are in, in a way creating for baked goods that are ready made. Not a lot of people gave us a shot right there. Uh, until uh, it was a buyer, Julie, at Walmart that said, hey, let's put you in incubation. It was 65 stores, logistical nightmare across four distribution centers. We lost a lot of money, but we wanted to see, hey, like, does this have the potential to work? And we got to try. I think if the program wasn't successful and we wouldn't have performed, we would not have stayed on that shelf. So after you promise and you get the shot, getting on the shelf, I think with retailers is, I don't want to take any credit away from anybody. It's the easy part. Staying on the shelf, that's the hard part. And that's the harder part. I will say it like that because it's not easy to get on the shelf. It's hard to get on the shelf, but it's easier to get on it than to stay on it. And listen, we've been discontinued. We launched the wrong items in the wrong shelf at the wrong time. What can you do? You can learn from it and make sure you don't do it again. We went into too many stores with the wrong item way too early. So when we went back to these stores, we were like, hey, I don't want 2,000 stores. Put me in 200, 300. Let's test. Let's learn. Let's scale. Let's incubate. And then we scale it over time. 
we're in no rush. We're building a brand. This is our life. And if it happens this year, if it happens next year or in two years or next month on a 10-year term, what does it matter, right? So we just want to make sure that our consumer has the ability to, to experience it and to create those amazing relationships with our, our retail partners. I think I heard some of the superpowers, but talk a little bit more about what makes your brand so special. Product is number one. If you have an experience with our product and you won't be, you won't like it, you won't buy again. And that's something we cannot, we work way too hard to convince a customer to try our brand. So once you try, you gotta, you gotta, you stay a loyalist. That is kind of our philosophy. That is a part of our philosophy and you, our products won't disappoint. That's something we're very proud about. Um, I'm going to do some lightning rounds. Let's do it. You ready? Let's do it. So as we've been talking to wonderful um, entrepreneurs and marketers and other leaders of brands, um, we've identified what we call the, the DNA of a gutsy brand. So I'm going to list the four elements that make up the DNA of a gutsy brand. And I'm going to ask you, whatever the first brand or commercial or advertising or whatever comes to mind when from a brand or marketing standpoint. So the first one is empathy, truly getting people, really understanding people. What brand comes to mind? Simon Sinek. Tell me more. I think it's also a lot about leadership, but I listen to a lot of what he says. I read a lot of his book and it has inspired me a lot. Um, the way of doing business it's got to be with empathy or you have no business. Pioneering, being innovative, creating just completely new ways of thinking and new ways of doing business. I'll go with kind, outstanding, um, created uh, bars that, that people had never had with real fruits, real nuts. People thought they were nuts when they did it, uh, the irony of that word, but um, I'll go with that the way they did it with kindness. That's great. Um, Standing behind a bold idea, even if it's not always popular. I feel like I'm staying in CPG, but Oatly, um, really revolutionizing how, how people viewed milk and dairy, even if it wasn't a popular opinion. Um, and they actually commercialized it that way. So I think that that takes lots of And is there any, and this might not be as evident, but is there anywhere where it looks like where others were compromising or forcing trade-offs, someone saw an opportunity. Someone sees an opportunity where others were uh, maybe avoiding it. Spanx. I think Sarah, Sarah did such an amazing, I mean, that product is really made by women for women. And I think in that time, um, that industry wasn't done that way. And she heard a lot of those before going for it. Sorry, so now we're going to get to spill your guts. This is maybe a little more personal to get to know you. What's the first brand you remember as a child and why is it memorable to you? Okay, maybe it's because I'm in the back to school phase already, but I'll go with Kipling. It's a Belgian brand that does backpacks or like it's where... We bought like that first backpack for going to first grade. It was like, if you didn't have a Kipling, you, you couldn't go to first grade, <laughs> basically. That's, that's great. And I thought you were going to say Lucky Charms. So is there a book or movie that represents your career journey or part of it? That's hard. Well, part of it 
I would say Devil Wears Prada. I definitely could see myself in a lot of those scenes. Like I ran for salads when I was interned. I, 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 yeah, name it. I've done it there. Um, so you think it's a somewhat true representation of the fashion world? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so your job, you're the CEO of a Brooklyn-based European food company. Uh, how would you describe your job to, or maybe you you do to your kids? How do you describe your job to a child? We make waffles. Like honestly, we just make waffles. That's what we do. All waffles. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you've taken um, advice from a, a number of others, um, but. Uh, your success is one that um, is great already. And it sounds like it's only at the lobby level um, moving up the skyscraper. So there's surely advice, either advice that you have in general or advice you took from someone else that you would offer to someone uh, as they're trying to lead and grow a brand, a business. I think surround yourself with smart people, smarter people than you and ask a lot of questions and learn and take feedback. And better yourself. Don't feel like feedback is an attack to what you're doing. And, and lots of way, way, way smarter people around you. And I, I, I thought you were going to say something like, life is short, eat a cookie. Um, <laughs> also, <laughs> I think that's phenomenal advice. Uh, and which, which, by the way, it's um, one of the things I love about your spirit. And it, it, it comes through in conversation. It comes through in your brand. I think your brand represents you in probably many ways. Is this trying to bring things back to what really matters and, and happiness? And we are, um, you and I have talked a little bit about uh, previously, that this is such a trying time for so many people, whether it's the economy or social issues or the climate or war. There's so many really heavy issues that and, and we've done some work to understand the stress levels and mental wellness and the, the way you bring it back to um, putting in perspective the food we eat and, and just enjoying life and being happy. I, I, that yeah. is inspiring in and of itself. Yeah, you know, I think what you what you just said, it's it's so true. And, and like I struggled with that, too. Huh? It's, uh, I mean, political war. Uh, rights, um, like there's just so much. It feels like there's a heaviness right now. And how do you just keep going on when the world is like so dark, right? Like for the lack of words, it, it is, it is right now. We're not looking very bright. And then how do you just keep your every day? And I struggled with it too. I think uh, actually I had I reached at a certain level, it was three, four weeks, a month ago, um, also personal grief, et cetera. And I'm like, I can't, like, this is not possible. You can't just let yourself go with the current. You gotta, you gotta like drive your boat, right? And say where you wanna go. And really for me, it was what makes me happy that got me back on, on track. It's and it's not hard things. It's not like big, complicated things like a trip. Even it's just that morning coffee that I need to enjoy in peace. It's a podcast. It's going for a walk. It's talking to a friend um, every day. It's doing something. I need mindless work. I do like puzzles. 
okay, so I did a puzzle. That makes me happy. It's those tiny things. And then you're like, okay, you find it. You find that drives it, gets you, that makes you want to go. And that cookie, that's not a hard little thing to just include in your routine because it makes you happy. And there's enough things that don't to the, in today's world. That's, that's fabulous. The last question. We are compiling a playlist from all of our gutsy brand guests. Um, what song would you add to the playlist? Oh, well, my, my song is Dancing in the Moonlight. I love it. It just gets me in a good mood. It's the song I need to listen before I need to just be in that vibe. Best song ever. It's my happy song. That's awesome. That's great. Anouk, thank you so much. Um, it's been a pleasure and we wish you just the best um, and hopefully you bring a lot of joy and happiness to a lot more American consumers. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Rob, for having me. This was really fun. I loved that interview, Rob. Anouk is so fun. Yeah, she's she's got quite a spirit and a passion about she her, does. right? Yeah. My biggest takeaway from her was the importance of enjoyment. She talked about enjoying life, enjoying your work, and of course, enjoying your sweet treats. But I'm curious what your takeaways from the interview were. Well, that I, I think I came back to that one in the interview at least once or twice because um, I just, I, it, she, it, she puts life in perspective that we, you know, the past few years in particular have been tough on so many people and so many any different ways. So putting the context of, yeah, so a little sweet treat isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, I want my wife to hear that more frequently. <laughs> but um, so I just, I think she puts things in perspective that sometimes we obsess about things that uh, don't deserve to be obsessed about. And, and we are meant to enjoy life a little bit. So I loved the way she connotes the brand, how she puts the brand and that together. Um, and, and, and again, just puts it in the right life in the right perspective. Yeah, I agree. And you could see that with her brand. You know, you talked about the colors and just the fun. And you can really tell she's someone who enjoys the little things in life. And, and that's really uh, important for all of us to learn from. And it's interesting. We, we've been we've been really fortunate. We've had some phenomenal guests, a lot of entrepreneurs who have taken the problem, figured out how to solve it, really helped people in different ways. And um her entrepreneurial story is also really fascinating to me. There's this such a family connection. It's there's a love story with her and her husband, how they met. Um, it's a love affair with their home country and how to bring what they grew up with in Europe to the United States to their new home country. Um, she talks about the connection with her kids. So um, it's really a bit of a family affair as well, which I think um, when you look at some of the entrepreneurs we've talked to, they've done phenomenal things that I could never do. Uh, but I love the fact that it's just so intimately connected to how she lives her life every day with her kids and her husband. Uh, so that part of the brand is really important. So it's a brand that is got that carries life and fun and spirit. And it's completely connected to how I think she's trying to raise her family as well. Absolutely. It's, you know, we often talk to big companies who do amazing things. Um, and I love to see that right from the beginning, this idea of family and fun was carried through as they grew their success. And that didn't have to be an either or. 
And that, that's really great to see. Exactly. No trade-offs. The power of Anne at mm-hmm. work. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And don't forget, if you need a little bit of music in your life to pump you up, go to the Gutsiest Brands playlist on Spotify to check out all of the recommended songs from the amazing guests of our show. If you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time.